Welcome aboard another great episode of the Sing Second Sports Podcast. I am John Schofield. Joining me is our special guest from the Capital Gazette newspaper, Bill Wagner. We are very excited to bring you an awesome episode this week. We are talking to New England Patriots long snapper, Joe Cardona. We're talking to the class of 2021 president and recently signed with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Cornerback uh, Cameron Kinley. And then we're also talking to women's lacrosse head coach Cindy Timchall about uh, the season that was and what she's looking ahead to. So, without any further ado, let's wrap up what has taken place. Um, I mentioned women's lacrosse. It was a real heartbreaker. They were, you know, up against a really tough Lehigh team, down the whole game, down late in the game went on a run, tied it up at 12, sent it to OT, and they lose in OT 13-12. Same kind of heartbreaking scenario for men's lacrosse, although the the issue was never really in doubt. A very tough Loyola team defeated men's lacrosse 16-9. So the week that was was not a great week for the men's and women's lacrosse programs. Really no shot of getting an at-large bid when uh, the selection shows take place this weekend. So now we're going to look ahead, and Cindy is going to talk to us a little bit about that. Also, this past week, um, last Sunday, the men's golf team hosted the first ever Patriot League Championship uh, at the newly renovated Naval Academy Golf Course. Um, Again, Loyola proved to be a thorn in our proverbial side. Just a very, very good golf team. They've always been a very good golf team, even back to the days of uh, former assistant pro at maybe Tom Lewandowski. Um, they have just always had a very solid golf program and they uh, came in first, but Navy really worked hard. Some clutch, clutch play um, on the 10th hole as the uh, as the tournament was winding down and a really good up and down uh, and two putt uh, from one of the golfers ensured that we got a second place finish. Women's tennis uh, battled hard against BU, but lost uh, four to three. And baseball had a very good win against Lehigh, 7-2. to two. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about what's ahead for baseball, just a small uh, weekend series against a team from uh, just outside of Highland Falls, New York. But without any further ado, Wags, um, I'd really like your opinion. Um, and we're also going to talk about football because there's been some news there. But your opinion and your take on the men's and women's lacrosse programs, their season ending, how bright is the future? And how would you characterize the season success or kind of that asterisk with, well, it was COVID and it was really odd and it was really hard, particularly with the ROMs. Um, you know, how, how would you, how would you grade it? That's a really good question, John. Um, I think for women's lacrosse, this was a tough one because a, you know, Cindy likes to play ranked opponents. Um, that's the way to build the Navy team and also prove that you're a contender in the big picture of the national scene. And none of those games were able to be held. She wasn't able to play the usual litany of eight ACC opponents like Virginia, Duke, et cetera. And within the Patriot League, Navy has traditionally been right there with Loyola. Those are the top two dogs with everyone else 
playing catch up. And this year, Lehigh overtook Navy. Lehigh was better than Navy. And, you know, Cindy Timshaw will talk about it when uh, when we have her on the pod here today. But uh, Lehigh has super seniors. They have players that have come back for an extra year and that gives you an edge. And unfortunately, it's going to be that way next year as well, because the current seniors are also being granted a extra year of eligibility. So it's a tough situation, but you know, this wasn't a great season for Navy women's lacrosse. Uh, they went to Drexel and got beaten pretty soundly by another team loaded with super seniors. So we've the, one of the few out of conference games that Navy played was a loss. And so uh, I would not characterize this as a great season for Navy women's lacrosse, um, you know, by previous standards, I do think for men's across this was a step forward. Two very significant wins. Beating Loyola on its home field, which Ridley Athletic Complex has been a house of horrors for the midshipmen over the years. A lot of lopsided losses. Um, so beating Loyola on its home field was a major shot in the arm. And then followed one week later by beating our tribal Army, which was an upset. Army was ten, ranked 10th in the country and is one of the favorites in the Patriot League. Uh, for the championship. So I do think it was a step forward for men's across. Now it's a tough situation in the Patriot League tournament. That was the rubber match with Loyola, third meeting uh, on Loyola's home field. Obviously, Loyola's out for revenge after getting beaten on its home field by Navy just a few weeks prior. So that was just a kind of a tough draw. And Loyola did take it to Navy. And as you mentioned, it really, Loyola was in control from start to finish. So a disappointing finish. But I do think a step forward for Joe Amplo and his program, John. Well, and, you know, we, we talked, um, you know, we talked about this, you know, the, the future could be pretty bright depending on, you know, the, the recruiting of Amplo and the, and the coaching staff, they lose a lot. Um, you know, the, the 2021 Patriot league goalkeeper of the year, Spencer Reese graduating Christian Daniel graduating Delira graduating Foster, Periton. Um, so, you know, you, you still have Skolniak coming back um, and, and probably, you know, maybe um, uh, an Xavier Arline, you know, maybe getting back onto the lacrosse pitch, who knows? Uh, but yeah, it, it was, it was very, it was very heartening, so to speak, to, to really see Joe Amplo's impact. Um, I, I won't disparage the previous coaching staff, um, that was there when I was the PAO, but you can just feel a different energy with the, with the men's program. Am I right? Yes, absolutely. And I think the young talent is significant. I mean, Jackson Bonnets on defense is, is a baller. He's this, this guy has future all Americans stamped on his forehead. Um, you know, Skalniak was first team all Patriot league. He really stepped up and showed he's a player just like his father, Phil, who was a all-American for Navy way back in the 80s. Dane Swanson, another midfielder, an offensive midfielder with talent. Uh, Max Hewitt, a freshman and midfielder. They've got a first-team midfield out of their freshman class, all of who are very, very talented. And, you know, offense on the attack side, I like John Jaros, the freshman out of Severn School, big boy, 6'4", 250. He's a, you know, powerhouse, and he did some good things. So I think there are a lot of... Uh, of uh, outstanding returning players. And if Navy continues to recruit, I mean, this, this current freshman class has lived up to its billing. It was rated number one by inside lacrosse and it has lived up to its billing. And as you mentioned, that's without seeing Xavier Arline on the field, who would be 
the top ranked member of that freshman class. Um, replacing Spencer Reese is going to be a challenge, but I think Navy has other goalies on the roster that they feel confident in. So, um, and uh, I think really one of the big things I see, they got to get, I mean, Jacob Jarrah showed flashes as a face-off specialist, but he got his butt handed to him against Loyola by Bailey Savio. And that was a big decider in the game. I, I think Navy needs to upgrade at the face-off position. Jarrah is a good start, but I, I think they needed to get another guy in there who's more of a dominant force. It's been a while since Navy had a really dominant face-off guy. So that would be a nice area to upgrade. And, you know, you got to replace Christian Daniel on attack. You need a another dynamic attacker, a shooter, a finisher. That's Christian Daniels, a guy that was a sniper from that right wing with his lefty shot. So uh, there are some holes to fill, but uh, I think future is bright. And I do think future is bright for Navy women's across as well. I just think Lehigh really stepped up this year and showed that it is now right in the mix with Loyola Navy among the top teams in the conference. And it's going to be tough next year because Loyola and Lehigh are both going to get fifth-year fifth seniors back, whereas Navy's going to lose its senior class. Exactly. Well, let's, you know, I, I brought up Xavier Arline, um, so let's use that as the segue into football that just wrapped up uh, spring practice. Um, with that was the announcement of the team captains, and I'll let Wags go into more detail there. Um, but, you know, sort of a surprise when the first depth chart came out um, you know, friends of the pod and big fans of the pod, the Levitais were probably very, very heartened to see that Ty Levitai, out of nowhere almost, uh, was really skyrocketing up that depth chart. So, so Wags, um, in, enlighten the listeners here. What is what is the intel that you heard coming out of spring practice, and and really how likely is it that we see Ty Levitai possibly under center when Marshall comes a calling? Uh, in the new football season? Well, I think it's a, a very high possibility. I think you've got two very talented young quarterbacks with distinctly different styles. Ty Lavatai is a big kid. You know, they said he, when he was at prep school, he was 230-plus. Um, they've asked him to lose some weight to be a little more mobile, so he's down around 210 to 215 in that range. Um, but he's a big boy, and he, you know, Kenny Amatololo likened him to Will Worth. And uh, they said that it, he would run the ball and it didn't look spectacular, but then you'd look up and see it was six-yard gain and it's second and four, which is, that's Navy football. And, uh, you know, he's a between-the-tackles, push-the-chains-forward type of a guy, and he also can throw the ball. They say he's got a really nice touch on the ball. So think Will Worth a little bit with Ty Lavatai. And then you got Xavier is a completely a different Beast, he's 5'9", 165, soaking wet, but he's got that Malcolm-type make-you-miss quality. He's got speed, quickness, the moves, you know, shake the hips and, you know, jerk the defender out of his jock type thing. So it, completely different. Now, what each of them has weaknesses, of course. They're young. They both need to work on reading the option, you know, reading defenses, making checks to the line of scrimmage, and basically getting Navy into the right play and distributing the ball to the proper place. Um, that's going to be a work in progress. And But for Xavier, really, John, passing, throwing the ball. Um, his natural, he's a shotgun quarterback in high school, running a predominantly running offense, and he didn't throw. So his, Ivan Jasper, the offense coordinator and quarterbacks coach, said Xavier's 
initial instinct when the rush comes is a he looks at the rushers and not downfield and his instincts to take off flee the pocket and uh, you can't have that you you got to stand in step up in the pocket and deliver a pass so that is a major point for of emphasis for Xavier and frankly if he doesn't get it done on that front and prove he can throw the ball effectively Ty is going to win the job because they already know Ty can do that he's a more comfortable pocket passer and you know Xavier's dynamic running ability is not going to overtake the fact that he's a liability if Navy has to throw the ball. So now <laughs> on the other side of the coin, I mean, Malcolm Perry probably gained, and I, Jeff Munkin from Army said he did, 65% of his rushing yards uh, two years ago, 2019, came from scrambles, either designed, which Navy runs that, you know, basically quarterback draw where he drops back never intending to pass and takes off or, you know, improvised scrambles where he was going to pass. There's nothing there and he took off. But I mean, Xavier is also very dangerous in that mode, scramble mode. So, you know, it's just, it'll be, this is going to be decided in August, John, and it could really literally come down to a week or two before um, the opener against Marshall. And I will, we do need to mention Masai Maynard, because Ivan Jasper and Kenny Amatololo did have a lot of positive things to say about Masai, and they liken Masai Maynard to Ricky Dobbs in that he's a, a big body, a similar running style, but also a very good passer. In fact, Masai might be the best passer of all three of these quarterbacks. He is the more natural passer. They say, you know, I like when Kenny Amatololo says, the kid can spin it. So uh, Masai Maynard is also very much in the mix. Uh, his Apparently, he doesn't do as great a job of taking what he sees in the classroom on the chalkboard to the field. So he needs to get better at decision-making, John. Well, the, the weapons will be there, um, and that, that provides us the segue into the announcement of the team captains. But, you know, in the passing game, you, you definitely have – Targets, you know, Mark Walker, six foot two, 203. Michael Cooper, one of the just announced co captains, six foot five, 221. Um, a very senior laden um, offense at the talent positions with Carlinos Acey, Jamal Carruthers, uh, Chance Warren, another one of the co captains, Chance and Cooper being the co captains for the offense. But a lot of seniors um, in those skill positions. And then at the quarterback position, you have two sophomores and a junior as the, uh, you know, as the quarterback possibilities. Then on defense, uh, you know, very, very deserving selection for uh, Kevin Brennan as the co-captain and Diego Fago, who, again, I know will be playing on Sundays one day as the co-captains. So break down, break down your evaluation of these captains and how this very senior-laden team, the entire secondary on defense, the starters are seniors, all of the skill positions on offense, almost all other than quarterback, seniors. You know, so what is, what is this, how does this forebode for, uh, for the fall season? Well, first of all, I, I love the captains, and they're pretty much who I would have expected. Uh, you know, Michael Cooper is such an incredible worker, keeps his head down, doesn't say a word. His, his you know, set the example uh, is so strong. And Chance Warren is the opposite. I mean, he, he is the talker. He's the guy 
Because someone has said on a press conference, well, if Cooper doesn't say much, and he said, Coach Niemotz is like, <laughs> don't worry, Chance Warren talks enough for everyone. Um, so, and he'll call people out too. In fact, Chance was getting worried that he's being too negative calling people out. But, uh, and then on the other side, I mean, who else other than Diego Fago and Kevin Brennan? I mean, the, the just senior standouts, great players. So, yeah, I love the captains, tremendous choices. And as the coach said, pretty much unanimous among both the players and coaches as to who those captains should be. And uh, I think Navy is poised for a turnaround season just based on what you just said, John. There's so much experience returning, especially on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, depth on the defensive side of the ball. You got Terrell Adams started games last season, played significantly. He's third on the depth chart at one of the inside linebacker spots. So they, they have got, because of what happened last year with guys being out due to COVID protocols and other injuries, so many defensive players gained experience that now they've got guys lower on the depth chart who have had, you know, lots of playing time. So uh, really, you know, to me, it's all about the quarterback. Uh, I have no, there's no doubt in my mind defense is going to be solid with Newberry dialing up all of his, you know, voodoo as coach Nehemiah likes to say. And the offense has weapons, Jamal Carruthers, Chance Warren, Michael Cooper. Uh, they praise the offensive line, which is a little rebuilt, but it sounds like it's it's big, strong, and athletic. So I, they feel very, very confident in the offensive line. So it comes down to the quarterback. Is the quarterback going to make this Navy offense look the way we know it should look? Or is there going to be you know remnants of what happened last season, which is was dysfunctional? Well, a lot to keep our eye on, as always. And I know that if you want the very best analysis of football and all sports, uh, you know, check out Bill Wagner's Twitter page, check out uh, his articles at the Capitol Gazette. um, And, you know, as always, take a listen to this podcast. So we are going to take a break. And when we come back, we are going to talk to New England Patriots long snapper um, Joe Cardona. Stick with us. This is Sing Second Sports. You're listening to Sing Second Sports with John Schofield, Ward Carroll, and special guest Bill Wagner of the Annapolis Capitol. If you like what you hear, hit like below and share with your classmates and friends. Let us know how we're doing. Hit us up on Twitter at WeSingSecond. That's at WeSingSecond. Now back to the pod. All right. Hey, hey, we are back. Um, it is time for our athlete segment, and we are very, very pleased to be joined by midshipman first, pla- first class Cameron Kinley of the Naval Academy football team. Um, Cam has had, obviously, like a bunch of his classmates and the rest of the brigade, for that matter, an incredibly eventful first year, um, you know, including uh, a very non-traditional football season, followed by the ROM that has taken place here in the spring, uh, which has been both a physical challenge and a leadership challenge. Um, not only for Cameron, but for you know all of the first years. Um, and now we are about to embark on a very, very unique commissioning week um, approaching. So Cameron, first of all, thank you so much for joining us. And can you kind of describe what this year was like um, for you personally and, and athletically? Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be on. Um, obviously, as you were saying, it was a very eventful year. It was a lot of ups and downs. Uh, Simply put, it was a year like no other. Um, You constantly (laughs) experienced new things and you didn't know what was coming next. So you just kind of had to take everything a day at a time. Uh, Things didn't look the same around the yard. 
So a lot of the typical traditions that we were doing on campus uh, were different. No, no evening King Hall. You know, you're grabbing and going with your lunch and you're spending so much time in your room and you don't really realize it until you come across somebody that you haven't seen in months that you're used to seeing every day. Um, and then obviously on the football side of things, it was extremely different. I proposed a unique challenge trying to get ready while also trying to stay healthy and then not even knowing if you're going to end up playing that weekend. You know, Thursday could come around and the game could get canceled. Um, so I feel like the, the hardest part of the season was just trying to keep everybody focused, trying to keep everybody positive um, and just try to take everything a day at a time. So not only are you um, a, a standout um, football player and, and I'll let Wags get into you know, what your career has been and where your career might take you after this, but you were also the Naval Academy class president for the class of 2021. So you've got kind of a big deal ahead of you here in a couple of weeks. You know, Kamala Harris is going to be on, uh, on stage and, and you're going to be you know, playing a, a pretty major role. But walk me through you know, what it's been like to lead not only on the athletic field, but to lead in that capacity as well. Yeah, I mean, definitely uh, <laughs> time management has been key, you know, trying to balance the two. But uh, it's been a good experience because it's, a, it's allowed me to get to know a lot of my classmates uh, outside of football and outside of sports. Um, so I've enjoyed being a class president for my class and having the opportunity to develop those relationships with different officers on the yard um, and try to plan different events. And that's I mean, that's been unique in itself. We had a lot of events get canceled because of COVID. So it's been hard trying to just keep the, the class morale up and trying to just create memories within our class so that we have something to look back on. But things are finally starting um, to look back to normal. And we got a lot of stuff lined up for the future and definitely looking forward to commissioning week and getting um, being able to send the class out on a high note, especially with uh, Kamala Harris coming. Uh, that's definitely going to be a privilege to, to hear her speak and have her there. Hey, Cam. Well, first, the, the most important question of all, you out to Pitbull last night? So I didn't, I didn't make it out to Pitbull last night, <laughs> but I heard it was a good time. I heard it was a good time. A lot of people enjoyed it. Hey, uh, so in case somebody, uh, our listeners didn't read the story I wrote, let's kind of talk about the process of you landing with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as a preferred free agent. Um, you did First of all, the first thing to do was get in front of scouts. And uh, I talked to your agent, who is none other than Ryan Williams Jenkins, former slot back at the Naval Academy. And uh, it really was crucial. He said when he first reached out to some NFL personnel folks, they had not heard of Cameron Kinley. So you had work to do and kind of talk about some of the events that enabled you to get in front of scouts and and have them see what you are capable of doing. Right. Yeah. So definitely when I was talking to Ryan and my other agent, Mike, uh, the same, um, they were here, they were saying that we, we weren't getting too much, uh, feedback right now from the scouts. Um, so I couldn't let it discourage me though. Uh, they, they got me invited to the college gridiron showcase and I knew I had to take advantage of that opportunity. I was like a hundred scouts down there is a combine type environment, just going through different position drills, uh, measurements and things like that. So I knew I, I knew I was going to measure well, uh, six to one and a half, 205 pounds. So I knew that was going to be able to catch a lot of scouts interest off the back. And then it was just going to be about how I moved. Um, and I was able to compete well down there uh, and um, look good in the drill. So I got a lot of positive feedback heading into the hula bowl where now I was on a couple of scouts radars and 
I competed well out there. And then from there, uh, we had a pretty good group of teams um, that I was starting to um, garner interest from. And the pro day was the next biggest thing. Uh, I knew it was going to be interesting for me not being in the same training environment as everybody else, but I still had to put up some numbers that that met uh, NFL defensive backs or exceeded those numbers. Um, and so I, I performed pretty well at the pro day. I was able to do two pro days. I feel like the biggest uh, event for me was the Memphis Pro Day. Uh, they had all 32 teams down there, um, and I was able to compete in front of all of them and showcase my skill set. And then from there, um, I felt like we were in communication with 16 to 20 teams. So I had a pretty good feeling going into the draft that I'd be able to get picked up. So talk about, you know, you were telling me that you uh, gathered with some family up in Washington, D.C., and watching the draft on Saturday, hoping to get picked in the late rounds. And when it didn't happen, you were a little down. And, I mean, can you talk about what an amazing change it was from thinking, oh, my dream is over, to then getting the call saying, hey, there's some teams interested in you? Yeah, definitely. Uh, the draft ended, you know. Um, and, honestly, it was just kind of a feeling of disappointment that came over me. And I, I had no reason to feel disappointed. Uh, my, my family was already proud of me. My friends were already proud of me. But I think what hit me the most was having my little brother there, you know, and I always try to set the example for him. Um, so the fact that I didn't – I wasn't able to get drafted in, uh, in front of him, having him there, uh, that kind of hit hard. I felt like I let him down a lot. Um, so I had some tears coming down, you know, uh, wondering what was next, if I, if I had a future left with football. And then probably five, ten minutes later – uh, my agent called me and said we had a couple of teams interested. And then from there, I was able to to negotiate a deal with the Tampa Bay Bucks. And I mean, it was crazy. Uh, my friends just picked me up. My, my mom, we were hugging for a while. She was crying. And just being able to share that moment with the people um, very close to me uh, that I love and that have been supporting me since day one. It's a it's a feeling that I, I'll never forget, uh, regardless of what happens in the future. That That was a day to remember for sure. So obviously you mentioned to me or I guess it was Ryan told me that two teams were interested and we don't need to mention the other team, but you chose Tampa Bay. And part of it was you had a connection down there. Your father, Richard, had played at Middle Tennessee State with the linebackers coach, I believe. Can you tell me why that kind of meant something to you? Do you just felt like maybe you have uh, someone on your side down there? Yeah. So it's funny. My older brother actually played in Arizona with Coach Aarons. Um who's now obviously the head coach for the Bucks, And Coach Caldwell was his coach out there as well. And my dad played ball with Coach Caldwell at MTSU. Uh, we actually got on the phone with him while I was home. Um, I want to say this was before the Memphis Pro Day or after the Memphis Pro Day. Uh, so I had a chance to have a conversation with Coach Caldwell. But um, honestly, the next level is all about who you know. So whenever you have a connect, uh, that helps out for sure. Obviously, nothing's going to be handed to me or given to me, but uh, it definitely helped knowing I, I know somebody down there um, that's willing to help me out a little bit. So uh, I felt comfortable with that situation. And then, I mean, you can't beat living in Florida as well. So it was a win-win, in my opinion. So obviously, John mentioned it. I mean, Tom Brady, uh, I'm going to guess in training camp, you're going to be trying to defend passes from Tom Brady. And, you know, they they got some receivers, too, <laughs> I mean, some quality receivers. They just re-signed Antonio Brown down there. You might have to try to guard him a little bit. What uh, what can you just say? I mean, are you still coming to grips with what you're about to go face? This is the big time, brother. 
Yeah, I'm definitely still coming to grips with it. You know, uh, obviously they got Tom Brady, one of the best quarterbacks that ever played a game, seven-time Super Bowl champ. Uh, you got Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, A.B. Grunt, uh, Scotty Miller. So, I mean, they're they're loaded in the, in the receiving room, but um, it's no time to be starstruck, you know. Uh, it's definitely a privilege and a blessing to go against these guys, but at the end of the day, it's all business now. I just got to go out there and compete. Uh, can't, there's no room for fear, no room to be scared. Uh, I'm excited for the opportunity. Like I said, it's a once-in-a-lifetime type of deal to be able to say I was on the same field as Tom Brady and going against these guys. So I'm excited to get down there and compete against them. Thanks, Wags. Great question. So, Cam, you know, this entire podcast was started, you know, predicated on the idea that the physical mission provides an incredibly special thing. Not that Tom Brady wasn't provided, you know, a work ethic or an understanding of what excellence is coming out of Michigan or, or any, you know, good athlete that's out there in the professional sports world. Um, but, you know, we've always believed that from plea boxing to intramurals to 33 division one sports to, um, you know, the, the football team playing Notre Dame and army and air force every year, that the physical mission provides you something from a service Academy. That's a little bit different. How are you going to look back, um, whether you're playing for the Tampa Bay Bucks or whether you're on a practice squad with another team or whether you're starting for another team, um, or if you're in the fleet, how are you going to look back on what the physical mission provided you? Yeah, I would say discipline. Uh, when I look back at my athletic career here in the different classes that we take, uh, it's discipline. Like, honestly, my hardest physical <laughs> event here was swim. And I knew how to swim when I got to the academy, but they wanted me to swim a little bit different <laughs> when I got up here. So I, I remember that 400 meter swim. Uh, it took me took me five times to pass it, um, and that's probably right there where I where I learned my determination and that perseverance to to keep pushing and keep going through until I to until I can succeed. And so that 400 meter swim, if anybody swam 400 meters, you know how tiring that is. So taking it five times, that took a lot out of me. But at the end of the day, it showed me that if I kept working hard at something and I kept believing in myself that I can get to the end goal. Um, and so I would say definitely just that discipline uh, that every day, get, get outside, get active. Uh, that's all midshipmen here at the academy. Everybody's committed to that physical mission. Um, and then just that discipline builds a perseverance to where you're just going to keep working hard until you see your goals um, shake out in your favor. So that's probably my biggest takeaway from the physical mission here at the Academy. Yeah, you're going to be in a position where a lot of people look up to you and, and are going to ask you for advice. The same with Joe Cardona, the same with Keenan Reynolds, the same with a lot of players in the past um, who have been part of the brotherhood and have gone out there and done good things, either on the football field or in the boardroom or in the C-suite. Um, you know, you're going to have, you're probably going to have recruits reach out to you and say, why should I go to Navy instead of go to Army or go to Middle Tennessee State or go to University of Maryland? You know, how would you summarize exactly what is special about the Naval Academy and why recruits should want to seek out a career here? Yeah, I would say it's the total package. And most importantly, you're going to get placed in an uncomfortable situation, but you're going to become a better man or woman um, because of it. Here at the academy, I was stretched uh, beyond my comfort zone. And that's why I was able to develop the way that I did. Um, coming here, obviously, you're new to the military. You're new to that structure, stuff that you've never seen before. But you adapt to it and you learn how to grow and you learn the discipline. You learn the time management. You learn the communication skills. 
um, stuff that's not really getting taught at all these other schools. You know, every school has academics, every school has, has athletics, but every school doesn't have that military structure and that military environment. And I feel like that gives us an edge here at the academy uh, when it comes to academics, uh, making sure we're organized, making sure we're on our schedule, getting everything done. And then when it comes to athletics, just that, that will to win, um, the, the commitment to the mission, uh, the camaraderie that we have on the field, um, the team aspect of things. You're just not going to get that everywhere you go. And I feel like here at the academy, um, you get both of those things and you're going to develop more than you can anywhere else. And it's not going to be easy. If it was easy, everybody would come to the service academies. Um, but as long as you're willing to stick through, stick to the plan and make it through, uh, there's no way that you will regret coming to a school like this. Unbelievable advice from an unbelievably impressive leader and football player. Cameron, from us to you, number one, congratulations on on being asked by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to be a part of that organization. Um, and secondly, and, and I'll, I'll hesitate to say more importantly, congratulations in advance. I know you still got to get through finals. I'm not going to Winston <laughs> Wolf this whole thing, but, but you know, good luck getting through finals. And, and really, congratulations on an amazing career and being an example of what is so great about a Naval Academy midshipman. Thank you so much. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Cameron Kinley of the Naval Academy football team and hopefully who we can watch on Sundays playing for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, when we come back from break, we are going to be joined by Naval Academy women's cross coach Cindy Timshaw. Stick with us. This is Sing Second Sports. You're listening to Sing Second Sports with John Schofield, Ward Carroll, and special guest Bill Wagner of the Annapolis Capitol. If you like what you hear, hit like below and share with your classmates and friends. Let us know how we're doing. Hit us up on Twitter at WeSingSecond. That's at WeSingSecond. Now back to the pod. Hey, hey, we are back. What an impressive conversation with Cameron Kinley. Again, you know, you've heard me talk about it. You've heard Ward and, and Wags talk about it. We just come out of these conversations every single week so impressed, um, you know, with with the midshipmen, the athletes who, who put on that uniform, both on the fields of friendly strife and in uh, Bancroft Hall and along the yard. Um, you know, uh, just a great example of what uh, a leader and an athlete is. Now, those leaders and athletes don't just get there on their own. They need good coaches. They need good staff. They need good faculty. And what a fantastic example of that in Coach Cindy Timchall of the Naval Academy Women's Lacrosse Team. Um, coming off of a real, real tough loss up in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania against Lehigh, losing 13 to 12 in OT, coming back, um, you know, with a really fierce second half effort to get that into OT. And then unfortunately, the result was not what we were looking for. But coach, number one, thank you so much for joining us. And number two, kind of walk us through um, not only the May 3rd game against Lehigh, but what what these last couple of weeks on the schedule you know, have, have meant for you and, and how they have, how they've affected, you know, the women on your team? Uh, well, first of all, thank you, John, for inviting me on tonight. Um, actually th this morning, I, I, I um, just want to say, I, I have to give a shout out to Cameron. You just had on what it, it's going to be a tough, um, you know, uh, amazing young man to follow on your podcast. However, I'm just so inspired by his words as a midshipman and I, I'm glad you're recording it because I want to listen to Cameron. I could listen to Cameron all the time and yeah, go Navy, but let's say, let's cheer for um, 
you know, Tampa Bay right now and in, in hopes that I would love to see Cameron on the field. You know, John, um, yes, I mean, just going to the question about, you know, the, the tough last game for Navy Women's Across for 2021, um, you know, regular C, uh, well, Patriot League championships up at Lehigh. You know, it was a, a well-fought, tough game. Um, you know, we, we came up short, as she said. And, you know, leading up to that, we knew we had to win a lot of games in order to get into the Patriot League um, championships. Um, we've, you know, just really had an exciting and amazing 2021. You know, despite some of the challenges of, of a pandemic year that, you know, COVID-19, all of 2020, um, some of 2021, our players. And I, and I know you said in the beginning about John, uh, you said something to the effect about coaches. I'm going to tell you, when you have players like in football with Cameron on the field, or in my case, you know, our senior captains of, you know, Marina and Caroline, you know, you begin to understand as Cameron said in your questions, really ignite the idea that the Naval Academy is such a special place of division one sports and athletics and women's lacrosse, you know, really is inspired and ignited by all the other wonderful teams on the field, you know, and um, with that, um, you know, we came up with a lot of W's, came up short in a couple situations, but very proud of this particular team. Um, not getting as many games as we like, would love to be playing today. And yeah, we're going to be sad and we're going to be sad for a while. You know, one day we're going to be, you know, one day we're going to wake up and not be so sad and, you know, just forge, you know, through to, um, you know, our 2022 season. So I, I know that you're much more interested in the in the uh, team results than the individual results. But again, a credit to, to the ladies on your team and to your coaching. Um, you had three first team All Patriot League selections and one second team All Patriot League selection. Nicole Victory, the attacker, uh, Gil Evie and Christine Fiore, um, you know, making first team All Patriot League. And like you said, in a very, very difficult environment where they really had to turn it on to even get into the Patriot League tournament. And then Reagan Roloffs on the second team. You know, I, I know that we're, we're not trying to to you know, single out anyone at the expense of the rest of the team. But what has it been like for you, you know, to, to coach, to coach these women, you lose Nicole, but you're going to get, you know, Gil, Christine and, and Reagan back next year. What, what, what has it been like to coach the seniors and to coach these special women through an unbelievably weird year? Yes. And, you know, we really feel like this was all about the seniors, you know, our seniors last year had a very abrupt season. We never played one Patriot League game. And so, you know, our mission was, and, and, and just to say goodbye, and our mission was no matter what, a, as a team, collectively, we're really all about the team as a whole. You know, we had, you know, freshmen making impact um, uh, plays for our team and starting and underclass and, of course, seniors you know, like Nicole, like Carolyn Kwan, like um, Marina. And, you know, there, there, there are several seniors that really got limited or, or you know, hardly any playing time. And, and that really just rings true, again, going back to the mission of the Naval Academy, their love for lacrosse and Navy women's lacrosse. You know, no matter what, they were true to the team. Um, 
the ones who got to play, they just stuck together. And we're a true example of what a team is all about. Um, you know, and, and in so many ways, you know, it's, it's really unusual sometimes where we allow the last game of the regular season or the, you know, one of the last games to, to really honor the seniors. You know, we really wanted to make it a senior day every time we played um, to give to each other, the underclassmen give to the seniors and the seniors show leadership and giving back to the underclass. Um, I just couldn't be more proud. And as you said, players are returning. They're ignited by the opportunities of knowing that we can go out and compete like crazy. And, you know, again, it's, it's time to rest and get ready for finals. However, you know, come, come the summer months and leading into our fall ball situation, we're going to be ready to come back and be strong. Well, well, coach, uh, obviously this was a unique year, uh, with the NCAA allowing all seniors to return for an extra year of eligibility. And I, I sensed in your voice some frustration at times. You, you know, normally Navy is uh, over the years beaten Lehigh, and this year Lehigh had an advantage by having super seniors, several of which were their best players. Um, is this going to continue? Because they're doing it again next year. <laughs> um, I mean, and, and again, I know – at the Naval Academy, you can't do it. There's no super seniors at the Naval Academy. They graduate, they go into the fleet or to the Marine Corps, and they serve. Um, how long do you think this is going to go on and perpetuate as an issue where some schools have an advantage over others? Yeah, you know, um, thanks, Bill, for the question. Certainly, you know, it, it has been unprecedented. Uh, it's particularly in our conference, similar to the Ivies. And Eli, Ivies gave exceptions that, you know, it was a rare exception to get, you know, a fifth or sixth year. Um, however, with the, you know, unusual circumstances they were given. And, you know, you know, I, I there, it's all about competition. And the player, you can imagine if, if a player, particularly any of the players that, graduated last year from Navy women's across, if they got the chance to know that they could come back and play, how, how much they would have, you know, it's a big sacrifice to come back and play another year, or it is an opportunity uh, for those who got their year taken away. You know, they, they knew what it was to have something taken away and they really, the super seniors, if we wanted to find them really played tough this year and, and it, it was the right thing to do for us you know, we'll be younger, um, but but we'll, we're going to be training hard. We will have, you know, an advantage. We really do extensive work and training and practicing in the fall. And that's something that really ignites what we do in the spring. So we feel confident. We know that there are going to be other players returning in our conference, as well as all across the country and women's across. And, you know, we're just going to be prepared and, you know, play one game at a time and, and, um, you know, see where things, you know, end up, you know, I think where all the sports at the Naval Academy will be, you know, have a little bit of that trickle down effect for maybe a year or two. Uh, yeah. If I can imagine if Kelly Larkin and Kayla Harris and some of those other seniors that graduated were still on Navy women's across, you've been pretty darn good this year. Well, um, right. And, and you can also think about those players like Nicole, being able to come back another year too. So you're like right. stacking it a little bit. So, yeah, I mean, I don't want to make it into a focal point. We played tough. Our goal was to be playing in May. 
We appreciated the opportunity and what the, you know, Chet Gleitchock and the athletics department did to get us out on the field to compete. However, you know, we're, our mission is, is, is to, you know, expect to win and to play hard. We did that. We came up short in a couple situations. Well, on that note, I mean, do you feel good about what Navy has coming back? And, you know, you I'm sure you've got another talented recruiting class coming in, but, you know, Jill Eby, uh, uh, Reagan Roloffs, um, the Beardmore girl, who's a daughter of my one of my buddies, uh, <laughs> she played well toward the end of the season. Isabel Thornburg was another plebe that showed up. Um, do you feel good about the talent level and that, hey, maybe we can – we may be at a disadvantage that we don't have super seniors, but guess what? We have enough talent on this team to beat them anyway. Yeah, I mean, it, definitely, Bill. We we feel, and you name some, you know, standout players, even Joe Torres in, in the goal from St. Mary's. Those are players that, you know, just had a little bit of a slow start because of the idea that we didn't get to train in mostly just practices in the fall, limited at times. And then no, no, but playing anybody. So many of these younger players like freshmen never played in the college game until it was the real season. Now, with that said, yeah, I mean, you, you, for, for Navy women's lacrosse, we're all about the youth um, learning quickly and, you know, really getting after it um, on the field. And with those players that you called out, you know, from Jill in the midfield and Christine Fiore and Reagan Beck, you know, taking draws and, and leading the offensive charge and, and Lindsey Beardmore um, just being another year of experience. You know, we're pretty darn excited about it. And we have some really, you know, brilliant freshmen coming in. So they'll have the opportunities that maybe some of our fresh, freshmen didn't have. If playing in play, you know, plead summer and getting, getting some of their legs adjusted in, in the summertime to be ready for fall and then beyond into 2022 Navy women's lacrosse, you know, in season in the spring. So last for me, before I throw it back to John to wrap up, um, we're in the conference tournament uh, time and uh, where people are trying to get first into the NCAA tournament. Um, looks like Northwestern is pretty darn loaded. They've uh, beaten everyone in the Big Ten, which is a very <laughs> strong conference. And I'm sure some of the ACC schools, the Dukes, the Virginias, the North Carolinas all have good teams. From what you're seeing out on the landscape of NCAA women's lacrosse, who do you see as some of the teams that are probably national championship contenders? Oh, you know, there, there's, there's a handful. And as you know, Bill, covering sports for all these years, you know, uh, you know, in, in basketball, you have, you know, March Madness and, you know, following the Kentucky Derby, it's all about May Madness and women's lacrosse. So uh, you have North Carolina, you know, playing some of the toughest teams in the country. Uh, you mentioned Northwestern um, undefeated, Carolina undefeated. Um, you know, one of my former assistant coaches at Maryland, Gary Gate up at Syracuse, his team is really playing solid lacrosse, getting to the ACC finals, um, which uh, ACC has – you know, many solid teams this year, including, you know, whether it's Duke or Virginia or Boston College. You know, Acacia Walker played for me, Boston College. You know, lost in a heartbreaker to Syracuse. So that kind of semifinals of the ACC was loaded with talent, talented players and certainly a, an unreal team that is really coached up. You know, and Kelly Amante 
has really set a standard in the Big Ten. I know Kelsey Nelson Reese, you know, at Maryland. Um, we we all we all don't really care for losing. So coming off that, you know, Big Ten championship loss, I'm sure Maryland's going to go back and um, you know want to be strong going into the NCAA playoffs. So really like all those teams, and you can never sprinkle in. You know, the team that we played, it's kind of an outlier team and lost to that that has pretty much run the table this year is, is Drexel. So if you want to talk about a mid-major team that is loaded with with loaded with some super seniors and grad students, Drexel will be an outlier team that could uh, do some uh, damage into the NCAA tournament. Hey, John, you'll just note that almost every one of those programs that Cindy mentioned as a top-tier national championship contender is coached by one of her former players. And, and so we're going to have some of these Naval Academy grads, maybe after their, their service, you know, they were certainly giving back in ways of, you know, having the opportunity to coach clubs um, and still be involved in lacrosse. But thank, thank you, Bill. I do appreciate that. Uh, a lot goes into that. Just been fortunate. And of course, you know, Jen Adams at Loyola in my conference is, is one that will look, you know, to take another Patriot League title, though, you know, there is some tough competition in, in the final four of the Patriot League. Well, Coach, um, you know, I, I'll say the same thing um, that I said to Cam. I, I, I can't tell you enough uh, from, you know, a podcast here that, that loves the Naval Academy and loves the athletes and loves the coaches and staff and faculty and loves everything about this. Thank you for what you've done. The, you know, I know that you're doing what you love to do and you're doing what you're good at, but, but there's a part of this that's always a sacrifice and you are part of making the future leaders of character and consequence who are going to go out there in the fleet, uh, Marine Corps, the C-suite, and, and make a difference out there and better the brand um, of the Naval Academy and make this country better. So thank you for what you do to coach them, to mentor them, and to lead them. Um, on behalf of us to you, we, we really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for letting me join you this morning. And go Navy. Everyone, that was uh, that was uh, women's cross coach Cindy Tinchall. Thank you so much to her for joining us. We are going to go to break. This is Sing Second Sports. You're listening to Sing Second Sports with John Schofield, Ward Carroll, and special guest Bill Wagner of the Annapolis Capitol. If you like what you hear, hit like below and share with your classmates and friends. Let us know how we're doing. Hit us up on Twitter at WeSingSecond. That's at WeSingSecond. Now back to the pod. Hey, hey, we are back. Uh, this is producer Chris Cervello. I'm filling in for John Schofield for this segment. Uh, and joining us, uh, as always, are Ward Carroll, our co-host, and uh, our special guest, Bill Wagner of the Annapolis Capitol. We are honored to be joined in this alumni segment by Joe Cardona class of 2015 and current member of the New England Patriots. Uh, Joe is a lieutenant in the Navy Reserves. Joe, thanks for joining us. Yeah, pleasure. Thanks for having me, guys. Joe, we were lucky enough last week to talk to Keenan. Uh, we wanted to have you guys on to talk about you know, the NFL draft. Keenan did a good job of kind of covering down on what that uh, emotion was like, but we wanted to check in with you to talk about what it was like to uh, to make an NFL team, to be a player in the NFL, and uh, how the mission, uh, the physical mission of the Naval Academy, helped you in your process. So, uh, 
to do that, I'll turn uh, the segment over to uh, to Wags to get us started, and then uh, he and Ward will ask a few questions, and then I'll wrap it up. Well, good to see you, Joe. I guess first and foremost, um, why don't you talk about that the the Naval Academy experience for you? Um, obviously, we a big part of this pod is discussing the physical mission. It's part of the uh, triumvirate of the moral, mental, physical. Um, you fulfilled the physical mission as a football player, but just talk about your Naval Academy experience and how it has benefited you as a professional football player. The Naval Academy experience for me really shaped me as a person. Um, you know, I'm coming from San Diego and military family, like is always a goal of mine to go to the Naval Academy. Um, and uh, the opportunity came with um, football really uh, helped me get into naps and then, uh, you know, really, you know, paved the way for me to get into the academy. So, um, you know, the physical mission was my, was really my entrance in. And then, um, you know, it was there at the Naval Academy, you're surrounded by such incredible people that are doing really, really difficult things constantly. And um, I think I was looking for a way to, to stand out while I was there. And, uh, you know, I was, I was, obvious, I was playing um, from a, you know, my plebe year there at the academy. And I just decided, hey, I'm going to keep putting in all my effort into football, um, you know, amongst every other, you know, requirement I have. And uh, we'll see how, how, how I can do and where it will take me. So it was a, an exciting process for sure. Um, and then eventually to get to the point where you're, uh, you know, I had my name called on draft day. It was pretty unbelievable, especially in the timing, because it wasn't really done to that point yet. Um, nobody had gotten drafted around me. Um, not to say it's commonplace now since me, but, um, it's become a little bit more common, but, uh, yeah, it was a, it was a special experience and definitely unexpected for sure. So obviously, uh, you have continued to serve. I don't think a lot of people realize that you have simultaneously served during in the reserves. I've seen you in uniform, um, I think you've been promoted maybe twice now since you were originally commissioned. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. Um, still, still reservist, um, supply corps officer in the, in the Navy reserve. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I have my job on that side and, uh, the Patriots are really understanding. Um, they've been incredible actually in the process, uh, you know, allowing me to make sure my, uh, duties are fulfilled on the Navy side and, um, yeah, it's been a good experience um, to have both for sure. I was fortunate to spend some time with Coach Belichick recently when he came back for the key to the city of Annapolis ceremony. And you were on the video that was put together by the city of Annapolis. And thank you for pitching in to greet Coach Belichick. He was very surprised and pleased by the video that was put together. But um, he mentioned to me that on Veterans Day, Memorial Day, he likes to have Joe Cardona addressed the team to to make people to get the players to understand what Veterans Day and Memorial Day mean. And one thing Coach Belichick mentioned was that a lot of people don't understand the difference between the two. One is honoring those who have died for their country. The other is just honoring all veterans, period. But can you talk about the fact that Coach Belichick has looked to you as a team leader when it comes to those types of things? Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's been a, 
special experience um, being thrown into that role. Um, I remember I was a rookie um, and, you know, it was like, it was mid-November. I just gotten off a, you know, a, I, was, I was CDO. So I had a 24 hour shift there at naps and I'm showing up on, on a Wednesday ready for the work day. And he asked me, he's just like, Hey, uh, will you speak to the team? And my initial thought was like, speak to the team about what I was so busy my rookie year um, that then it clicked that it was veterans day and um, just give a little perspective. But there I found myself, um, you know, a rookie in this, in this incredible program speaking on behalf of, um, you know, this, this vast veteran community. And it, it really put in perspective that say like, I have a responsibility as a player um, in the NFL, but I have a responsibility as a military member to, um, to shed a positive light and, uh, you know, give a good perspective to my teammates uh, because they serve such great roles you know, in New England and then in the country as a whole. So, um, you know, things like that, you know, experiences like that, um, that, that coaches has seen um, for me to take, you know, that role have been really welcomed. And um, yeah, was, I, I think it was very unexpected initially. I was talking to, you know, a bunch of my idols and uh, people that I really respect and um, just hoping I didn't mess anything up. But uh, yeah, it's been a, it's been a good experience and, having that role on the team and having it grow has been great. Well, I think that's a good opening for me to bring in Ward Carroll, who is a, a Naval Academy graduate as well. And, you know, Ward, maybe jump in right there on that topic about what Joe's done to represent the military. And I can tell you that Coach Belichick said your teammates to a man of respect you for the fact that you serve. So I think they have as much respect for you as you do for any of them. Go ahead, Ward. Uh, so Joe, uh, what you just said just sort of resonates with me at all the, the macro 30,000 foot levels. So if you were talking to a member of the brotherhood who is a potential draft candidate in you know, the years to come, what would you tell them in terms of the things they don't know? You know what, what are the things to watch out for um, with respect to having an NFL career? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And I think, um, there's a, there's a difference in, you know, where we come from, uh, at the Naval Academy and there's a difference in, you know, Navy football compared to other, uh, you know, football programs around the country. And I, and we take that upon ourselves while we're at the Academy, but I would recommend that they carry that attitude with them when they, if, and when they get an opportunity, obviously, they have to be able to put in the work and be able to perform on the field first and foremost to even have um, any of those capacities, you know, to, to take advantage of and a platform to speak on. But, um, you know, obviously, so take care of business first and foremost, bring that attitude of, you know, an underdog, you got a chip on your shoulder, everything that we go into, you know, to, to games against, you know, bigger, faster, stronger opponents, uh, while we're at the academy, you got to bring that with you every single day, um, and you got to bring that attitude of like, "Hey, I got to perform," and and not let the brotherhood down, um, not let the Navy Marine Corps down. Um, anybody who's given me an opportunity, you know, I have a lot of eyes on me and a lot of responsibility to perform, um, and it's difficult. Um, it's very difficult, but 
the place we went to, the team we played on prepared us for it. Um, if we can apply the lessons learned from the, from the Naval Academy to football. Um, so I imagine that, that, I imagine that also includes the off field temptations piece, you know? Uh, so I think you can, you know, the, the NFL is full of guys who went down the wrong road with respect to that part of it. And this is what you're saying that keep what you learned at the Naval Academy in terms of the character and conduct piece insofar as it's relevant in mind and you won't go down those, those bad paths, bad paths of an NFL player. Sure. Absolutely. You know, there's, there's no secret, you know, those of us that, that went to the Academy, you know, once we graduate and we're off on our various adventures, um, there's an acclimation period to, uh, to um, the real world outside the hall. Yeah. I don't um, know anything about that. <laughs> <laughs> My um, first summer in Pensacola was nuts. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it is, it's that, but on a different scale, uh, you know, you're given a, you know, if you get drafted, you're given a signing bonus and you got money in your pocket and this and that, and you see your friends that are off, you know, having their fun in Pensacola or San Diego or wherever, you don't get that opportunity. You don't get that luxury. One, you have, you have a job to do, um, you know, as they do, but you have a job that's, you know, coming up in the fall and you got a lot of eyes on you in the process. Um, and not only do you have all the eyes that, you know, your new organization has the expectations they have upon you, but you also have the Naval Academy, the Navy, the Marine Corps, like the, you know, Department of Defense, the military, whatever you want to say, those eyes are on you and like you have to deliver. Um, so, of course, you know, it should be you should celebrate. You should you should be proud of yourself, but you should work um, with the diligence that, you know, one would expect of, um, you know, an academy grad uh, and, and work with that and work to that standard. Perfectly said. Back to you, Wags. Well, Joe, obviously uh, they call this NFL means not for long. And uh, but you have stayed long. Uh, seven years. Is that correct? You just completed your seventh season? Uh, going into year seven. I mean, that's beats the average. I think it's uh, two years or something, really, for your average NFL player. How grateful are you for this career? I mean, seven years in the NFL is tremendous. And, I mean, you're not even close to being done yet, uh, let's hope. <laughs> they didn't draft yeah. a long snapper, did they? No. I, <laughs> uh you know, it's it's a career path that um, you know I'm grateful grateful for every day. Um, something that I'll never take for granted, really. Um, as I'm, you know, about to start my workout for the day here, it's a, uh, you know, it it's it's different. It's different than what I was ever expecting of my life. Um, it's different than what I was expecting when I showed up to Newport, Rhode Island at the at the prep school. Um, you know, but it's a, I take it as a responsibility and, and representing those that, uh, that have worn the Navy blue and gold and, and saying, Hey, like it's a different opportunity. Um, but it's something that I'm going to take seriously and, uh, perform, you know, to that standard, as I mentioned before. Um, so yeah, seven, seven, you've gone into year seven, uh, unexpected for sure. Um, there's a lot of days where, uh, you know, I'm becoming that older, older guy in the locker room. And I look around and I see all these, you know, young, 
22, 23 year olds and I, and I'm starting to feel old. Uh, but, uh, it's, it's been, it's been great. Um, and, and hopefully I can keep it going for a while. I hope so as well. It's been a pleasure to follow your career, Joe. Proud to have gotten to know you at the Naval Academy while I was covering Navy football during your career. I'll kick it back to Chris Cervello to maybe ask another question and wrap us up. Sure. Yeah, thanks, Wags. Um, I, I want to echo what, what you said. I mean, uh, I, I did not grow up a, a Patriots fan, but I, I will say that uh, I, like probably most grads, uh, are – particularly interested in how the Patriots do week in and week out and follow you and, uh, you, you know, because of your connection to Navy's. What does the rest of your summer look like? I mean, you're kind of now on the ramp up, right? I mean, you guys will go into mini camps and in this uh, summer camp. And so you're kind of in your, the beginning of your, your busy season. What's the summer look like and what do you expect for the season uh, before we let you go? Sure. Um, yeah, I'm in, uh, I mean, immediate, you know, kind of plans. I'll head back to, uh, New England here in a few weeks, um, for, uh, you know, our, um, off season team activities, uh, our OTA practices and mini camp, um, you know, a comparable example, we can call that a com two X if for our, our, our surface warriors out there, um, preparing for, uh, the long haul of the season. Um, I'll have some, uh, reserve days to, um, to execute during, uh, the month of July. Um, and then, um, from there, uh, you know, it's, it's just hitting it hard every single day preparing for the season because once, uh, late July hits, um, you know, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a train and, uh, you better hop on. And, um, you know, it's, once the season gets going, it's, there's no other that life, life as uh, life as you know, it is, is, um, looks a little different. So yeah, uh, for the rest of the summer, I'm ramping up, um, trying to enjoy, uh, all the time I can, um, before the season starts. And, uh, that, that takes up my life. Joe, thank you very much for spending a little bit of time with us. Uh, hopefully you'll join us again. Uh, you know, if you've got uh, some time during the season, we'd love to get your take on where you think Navy is mid season and, you know, hear how things are going. Uh, with you and your Patriots teammates. So thanks again for joining us this week. Absolutely. It's a pleasure. I, I'm, I'd love to come on anytime. Thanks, Joe. Ladies and gentlemen, that's Joe Cardona, class of 2015 and member of the New England Patriots. Uh, special thanks to Joe and a special thanks to the New England Patriot organization for helping us put that together. We're going to take a break. You're listening to Sing Second Sports. You're listening to Sing Second Sports with John Schofield, Ward Carroll, and special guest Bill Wagner of the Annapolis Capitol. If you like what you hear, hit like below and share with your classmates and friends. Let us know how we're doing. Hit us up on Twitter at WeSingSecond. That's at WeSingSecond. Now back to the pod. Uh, awesome conversations, awesome interviews today. Um, you know, before we take it out, I'm going to send it over to Bill Wagner for what he's looking at on the horizon. And then I will break down um, what the schedule looks like for Navy athletics. So Wags over to you. Let's start it off and then finish it off. Well, one thing we didn't talk about in the week past that I should mention was on last Friday night, we had brigade boxing, a very different form of brigade boxing with only mids in the stands at alumni hall. In fact, it was almost entirely pleats because 
everyone else was given leave and nobody was going to miss an opportunity to get off the yard. So pretty much the only, and the le- the plebes were not given leave on Friday night. So they had nothing better to do, but to go to boxing, which led to a really interesting dynamic in that every time a plebe was in the final, the, they were like the favorites. They were getting mass uh, support because they, they, uh, most of the fans were their classmates. So it was really funny seeing plebes getting cheered on over seniors and whatnot. Um, but a great night of boxing and they got, they got brigade boxing done, you know, which was, it was in jeopardy, John, there was a chance this wasn't going to be held, which would have broken an incredible tradition. And like coach Jim McNally said, they, you know, they boxed through world war two. They held the brigade championships. He wasn't going to allow COVID to stop the tradition. And, uh, so they had, uh, Jeanette Stearman deserves a shout out. She became a four time brigade boxing champion, which is not easy. She is only the second female to earn the Tony Rubino Award for that amazing distinction. And you got to, Sophie Likas was the first female four-time champ in brigade boxing champ, uh, brigade boxing history. She flew all the way from Oxford, England, just to support Jeanette Stearman. I mean, that is a shipmate and a, and a, I don't even know, but that's the Naval Academy, John. Who flies all the way from freaking England just to attend brigade boxing and show support for, you know, a fellow boxer? So that was, and and Jeanette Stearman was overwhelmed and with gratitude and emotion about that gesture by Sophie. So got to love that. And then on the men's side, a little bit disappointment. Kendall Lewis did not succeed in his bid to become a four-time champ. Um, Kendall's had a bum knee now for a couple of years and I think it caught up to him. His training was not up to par. And, uh, you know, he, he ran into a, a Jack Gian is a defending brigade champ himself. And Jack was fired up and ready. And he, he took it to Kendall Lewis pretty much from start to finish. So, you know, that's why it's hard to become a brigade champ. Number one, it's hard to win as a plea, but number two, you know, they're coming after you. You got a target on your back as a senior. And this is not the first time a defending champ either went up or down a weight class to make that four-time champion earn it. And uh, Kendall Lewis couldn't get it done. He got beaten soundly by Jack Gian. So good on Jack Gian for making that happen. Brigade boxing was cool, John, as always, even without all the Annapolitan club guys in their tuxedos. Yeah, that's definitely a tradition I'm looking uh, forward to returning. I mean, yeah, who flies? all the way from Oxford uh, to attend Brigade Boxing. That's like flying all the way from Florida just to go to the Tiki Bar. Um, yeah, so it's yeah, it, hey, it, it's it, a sign of dedication, Chris. Go ahead. Is it true that Jeanette's next fight is against Jake Paul and that she is <laughs> a predominant favorite? That, that's what I read on Twitter this morning, is that she immediately it's called out Jake true. Paul and she right? said she would beat his ass in the middle of Alumni <laughs> Hall. You heard it first here. Very possible. I would not mess with Jeanette Stearman, but <laughs> she's tough. <laughs> well, um, before we go out, I would be remiss if I didn't uh, say that, you know, the sports are winding down, but, you know, there are there are definitely things to look forward to on the horizon. And before we go out, um, I, I would put a, um, a bug in everyone's ear uh, to root for baseball against Army. Uh, this weekend, they have a doubleheader Saturday and a doubleheader Sunday. Please root for men's tennis. 
awesome video online of men's tennis finding out where they're going for the NCAAs or going down to Chapel Hill to take on Oklahoma State um, and then possibly host North Carolina or Presbyterian in the uh, second round. And then women's golf after the awesome, awesome upset to win the Patriot League going out to Stanford, California to play in the Stanford Regional. Uh, good luck to Nadia St. Marie and uh, the ladies of women's golf. And then uh, on the horizon for men's and women's track and field, the outdoor championships in Springfield, Mass. Um, so, you know, awesome episode, awesome conversations. Um, as always, we really appreciate everyone uh, taking a listen to the pod. You know, if, uh, if you can also check out our co-host Ward Carroll's awesome YouTube page. And for more information, um, always, always drop us a DM, um, you know, at sing second sports on Twitter, um, or our actual Twitter account is at we sing second. So, um, wags, take us out with one last take on baseball, and then we will say fairly well. Well, this is a huge weekend for baseball, John. I mean, first of all, it's a four games with our tribal army. The star will be determined through this series of games. Army leads the North division of the Patriot league, their army's 22 and 18 overall 14 and eight in the Patriot league. Uh, they're, you know, right now tracking to be the top seed for the Patriot league tournament. This is going to be a big ass for Navy and it's important. Navy's got to get some wins because right now Navy is pretty much even with Bucknell in the Patriot league standings. Navy, uh, believe it or not, has a losing record in the Patriot league. Um, nine and 11. And, uh, so this is absolutely crucial series for Navy. Um, they got to get some wins because I'm not sure who Bucknell's, but Navy's nine 11 Bucknell's 10 and 13. This could turn around quickly this weekend and only the top two teams in each division get into the Patriot league tournament. So Navy's, you know, really on the border here of not even making the Patriot league tournament. They're going to have to, I, I think they have to split with army at very least. All the games are being held at Palisades Credit Union Park in Pomona, New York. Um, not quite sure why they moved all four games there off campus from Army West Point. Not sure if it's COVID-related or what. But this is a huge series for Navy baseball. Got to get some wins against Army, John. Agreed. Um, we, we need that. And uh, so let's, uh, let's go ahead and um, take this out now. Um, the, you know, let's root for baseball. Let's root for tennis. Let's root for women's golf. As always, congratulations to all of the teams that have wrapped up their seasons. Congratulations to the seniors and good luck to them and all the mids as they start finals today. Um, you know, as we record this, uh, on a Friday and thank you to everyone for being loyal listeners and taking care of us. Uh, for Bill Wagner, for Ward Carroll, for our awesome producer, Chris Cervello. I am John Schofield. Thank you for listening to Sing Second Sports. We are out. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this pod are our own and don't represent the views of the Naval Academy Athletic Association, the United States Naval Academy, or any organization for that matter. Play-by-play calls from the Navy Radio Network are used in the opening of the show and from time to time will be part of podcast segments. 